What do you want? Screaming queens. Listen, I am two seconds away from calling the police. Screaming Queens Horror Podcast. What do you want? Screaming Queens Horror Podcast to your death. Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Better give me those shoes, they're mine. Give them back to me. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Rubs the lotion on its skin or else gets the hose again. What have you done to its eyes? I see no manhood between your legs. You're going to need death now. <laughs> the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Get away from her, you bitch. It was an asylum. And it was hell. 20 years of pure hell. The devil wins sometimes. What's that? Hello and welcome to Screaming Queens, the horror podcast with the Queer Review. My name is Jonathan Larkin and I am a giant skunk. <laughs> Just three weeks into the new year and I'm already cheating on the boys. I've um, I've jumped on a train and come to Edinburgh for an illicit night away to hook up with my favourite Jallo expert in the whole wide world, Miss Rachel Nisbet. Hello everyone. Hi. Hi Johnny. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Well, I'm even better now that you've given me a Peroni. Cheers. Yeah, Peroni. Cheers. Doing it Italian style. Yeah. Well, we yeah. thought that we'd better be drunk for, t- <laughs> t- for tonight's... We need to be drunk. ...tonight's episode. Um, so, for people who don't know, Rachel runs the Hypnotic Crescendos blog online do you call it a blog or a site or a yeah i call it a blog i suppose the kids sounds quite amateurish yeah my blog yeah there's nothing amateurish about it um and rachel caught my attention are we talking like two years ago now it's been a while i think it's been two years Mm. i hadn't been doing screaming queens for long and i noticed that this person on twitter knew a hell of a lot about italian horror jello genre cinema Mm -hmm. in general um and i was very drawn to her blog because a lot of it was about um was about a lot of the themes in jello about the strength of the women in jello the hotness of the men in jello and <laughs> uh, the fabulousness of the decor in jello as well you could say that wouldn't you yeah yeah definitely and the, the fashion in jello and um you know it was just i just found the, the blog really interesting so we sort of struck up a bit of a twitter friendship didn't we yeah just gonna dm'd each other a bit and yeah just started talking all things italian and yeah kinda... yeah Built up a friendship from there. Oh yeah, it sort of went from there, and then I really wanted to explore Jello as part of Screaming Queens to look at the sort of the queer elements of the of the genre. Um, would you call it a genre? Yeah, it's, I know some people kind of say it's like a subgenre of horror, but I think I'm just kind of at the point where I just call it a genre. There's so many well, of them. You know, kind of, yeah, there's like hundreds. So. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on your definition. So, yeah, just easier to say genre. Qualifies, doesn't it? People know what we mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, there were so many sort of queer elements, <clears throat> underlying elements, and sort of overshadowing elements in a lot of the movies as well. And I thought, oh, right, I need, I want to get like a sort of, um, a, you know, a comprehensive list of films that I should um, I should be looking at. And because we'd already sort of developed a bit of a friendship online and stuff, I thought it wouldn't be rude of me to just, to just message you and ask you for a, a list of. Um, queer jello films so you were kind enough weren't you to yeah more than happy to yeah Yeah. and we went from there so if you look back through screaming queens earlier episodes you'll see some of the sort of jello episodes we've covered we've done everything from um everything from deep red to eyeball oh yeah yeah the famous eyeball one (laughs) yeah the tenebrae one which was really good because there's quite a lot to unpack in that one quite a lot and quite hilariously jello affinitia of course, yeah. Which was my and Rachel's first foray into um, podcasting together, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the perfect film to choose, I think. Perfect film to choose. Somehow I decided that it would be perfectly fine to record it over Skype, so Rachel sounded a little bit like she was broadcasting from outer space through a wind tunnel. <laughs> um, well, the first one went wrong, remember? <laughs> we had to record it again, like, yeah. three days later, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. But it was quite good, though, wasn't it? Because it, the first time turned out to be a bit of a dry run so yeah when we did it again i think we were a bit more relaxed and that's what we keep telling ourselves yeah yeah, yeah. um so we thought if we're going to do it again we better do it in person so mm-hmm. that's why that's why i've made the trip to the lovely edinburgh i've yeah. never been here before so nice edinburgh road trip yeah yeah for 
podcast thing. It's quite dedica- like a lot of dedication. It is a lot of dedication, um, especially seeing as I've got like a two-day hangover that I'm still suffering with. You'll get through it. I'll get through this it. This film will revive you. <laughs> yes. Well, I watched it last... When did I watch it? Yesterday with the, with the first day of my hangover, so... Which is, yeah, an interesting choice. Yeah. So the, the, first, so the film that we're going to talk about tonight is from 1980. Mm-hmm. And it is a uh, so we we mentioned Jello Venezia, which was a particularly sleazy, hardcore kind of um, sort of pony Jello. Yeah. From the sort of dirtier ends of the genre, wasn't it? Yeah, it's kind of one of the most probably like extreme in terms of like sleaze factor. Yeah. So it's kind of when the genre decided to kind of branch out in different different ways, and in the late seventies, found like Sister of Ursula and Jello Venezia and. Play Motel, which are the kind of quite heavy on the sex compared to the earlier ones. And so the guy who directed Jello Fenizia directed the film that we're talking about tonight. Yes. And it shows. Definitely. And this is his last film. <laughs> so it tells you all you need to know. This is the, the, the end for him after this. Oh. And the film we're going to talk about is called Patrick Still Lives. Yes. AKA Patrick Lives Again, which we both <laughs> we keep, keep thinking it it's called, or... but it's an attack now. So the premise of Patrick Still Lives is um, Patrick is involved in a roadside, well, I thought it was an acid attack, which says a lot about how clear it is in the yeah. film. But did they just throw a bottle at his face? Well, now, I'm, now, like, because you think it's an acid attack, I'm like, did I get that wrong? But I, I think he's, drive, he's driving in a No. Somebody's driving in a car and they throw a bottle. Yeah. And he's, he's already stopped the car, hasn't he? Haven't they got, like, road, like, car problems, him and his dad? Yeah. And a car drives past and someone chucks something at him. That's it, yeah. yeah. So Patrick um, is on the roadside with his dad, who's called Dr. Herschel. Dr. Herschel, yeah. Um, and he's left in a coma after this attack. And then we jump forward. Dr. Herschel uh, runs an exclusive health spa in a fancy palazzo in rural Italy somewhere. Yeah. Do we know exactly where it is? Yeah, it's at Villa Parisi in... Is it Frascati? Frascati? 
Frascati or something. My pronunciation is probably wrong, but it's been used for a million films. Like um, Mario Bava used it in Bay of Blood and Hatchet for the Honeymoon. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Ooh. So it's been, there's like probably like about 40, 50 films at least mm. where it's been used. Yeah. So it'll be familiar if you're yeah. kind of familiar with Italian cinema. Yeah. So he runs a fancy health spa and um, basically the plot is he harnesses the psychic powers of three unconscious naked people who we don't under, we don't have any backstory as to why they're there. And he, he sort of uses their brain power to give Patrick the strength to use telekinesis to exact his terrible revenge. That's essentially the plot in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the absurd summation of the events. One of them, one of the big draws for this film is I'm a little bit obsessed with an actress called Mariangela Giordano. And she was in, well, she was in Jello at Venetia. Yep. There's another connection to the yes. film. In that film, she was stuffed in a fridge next to her severed leg. Yes, and a fridge kind of comes up with this in this one as well, in a less yes. insane way. Yeah, but really grim at the same time. Yeah. And then she was in Malabimba. Your favourite. Which is one of my favourite ever sleazy Euro horrors, which is sort of set in a gothic castle, and it's all about teenage sexuality. And what was it? Tit munching and rug munching? Tit munching, and... rug munching, and yeah, all mm-hmm. the um, uncle munching. Yeah, Uncle Munching, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's the only film I've seen where, <laughs> a, a, where, where a character sucks off their uncle to death. <laughs> so she's in that as a nun, obviously. Uh, and she is also in Burial Ground, where she yes. has a tip punched. And she's in this. She's in this film. Yeah. So this was a major draw for me. Are you a fan of this actress? I have to say the kind of the films that I tend to like Italian genre cinema-wise are less extreme than the ones that we've kind of touched on. <laughs> so I, I, so why did we choose this? <laughs> Because they're so much fun, but yeah, um, yeah fun. so she wouldn't be my maybe my favorite actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you gotta love her when she's in a film. It kind of you kind of know what you're gonna expect when you see her in a film. Yeah. Though she's in the, the sect, I think, in a short, a small role, which is kind of not as outlandish. I can't remember what she did in the sect. I only saw it once. I think there's like a bit. It's like a truck stop or something, and she's. Like, right. I don't know. if She's a prostitute or something, mm. but yeah, yeah. She's just some guy. So she is in this film as well, so this was quite a big draw for me. And she plays, um, her character is called Stella Randolph. And she and her husband, um, Peter, I think his name is, they show up to the this resort. And the resort is called the Herschel Centre for Wellness, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, it's like Wellness Centre, yeah. yeah. Um, and they show up to this, to this, um, this place. And we're wondering why they're actually there. Um, and they are... Greeted by Dr. Herschel's glamorous assistant, Lydia Grant. Yes. <laughs> Can we address her walk? Have you noticed that she's struts? I know, it's like proper, like, I don't know what that walk is, but... She's a gal with swagger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When she comes out, she welcomes them to the place, and she says, Mr. and Mrs. Cough have already arrived. And I just love that there's, there's characters called Mr. and Mrs. Cough at a wellness centre. I think that's just quite cute. Yeah. It's an odd one. I don't know where that name actually comes from. Yeah. In it, just why not? Yeah. So the Coffs are Lyndon Coff, and he is a member of Parliament, and he has got grand hopes of being the Prime Minister. Yeah, he's got big political aspirations, but we don't like to talk about politics. That's no. the big thing they say in the film. So this is she true. offers that information, and then it's yeah, yeah. In the car, in the in the scene, there's a scene where Stella actually says to Lydia Grant, "Doesn't he want to be Prime Minister?" And Lydia says, "I'm sorry, I'm not interested in politics." <laughs> After telling her that he's a politician. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So they all arrived. That's two different couples who were there. Then a character called Davis arrives, and he arrives late, and he's like the sort of swaggering... Yeah, the younger kind of Italian, yeah. natural male. Do you know much about that actor? I don't, actually. Yeah. No, I don't know much about him. Yeah. You just know he's going to be the romantic hero, because he's got a blow wave and brown leather. <laughs> brown leather's always the signing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to that? <laughs> yeah, it's like a really strange encounter with the guy who feeds the guard dogs. Yeah. And he's like, they're, vi- they're very vicious. That's not normal for German Shepherds. And then a character called Meg shows up and he like takes a shine to her. But then the, the guy who's feeding the dogs is like, yeah, but she seems nice, but I think she's an idiot. <laughs> Poor Meg. I know. Um, so yeah, we get these like random weird introductions to all these people and we're wondering why the hell they're there at this wellness centre. And then we cut straight to the weird experiments with Dr. Herschel. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, he's comatose Pat- Patrick's father. And then there's like a big quick blast of plot and like, you know, we're going to get revenge and this is this is my plan and all this. But before that gets too boring, we're sort of hit with boobs next to the pool in the of sun. Course, yeah. What everyone's wanting. Yeah. And you've got sort of Stella and Peter lounging on one side and you've got Lyndon and his glamorous wife, Cheryl, 
on the other, on the other side. side with a lot of prominent J and B whiskey. J and B, lots of it. And you actually see a J and B whiskey. Um, what's a water a water jug? Is that what you call it? So you kind of it's not just the bottle. You also yeah. get the wee like J and B jug. Yeah. So. What's the thing with J and B with 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 jelly and Italian cinnamon in general? Is there, is there any story behind why they use that so much? I think this is always the thing. Like I. I read an article about it a while back, and all, but I think it's just supposed to be you know, like glamorous, or it's you know it's like, like aspirational. Yeah, I think it just ties into aspirational like side of it. But I don't think there's a particular like stories and like yeah. they purposely like kind of JMB purposely courted the Italian film industry or anything. I think it just was in a few films, and then maybe it just became used more because in general yeah. it was seen as the thing to have. Yeah. But yeah, this film is ridiculous for a JMV placement. There's like so prominent in every shot. Well, that's probably because the cast had to be drunk to do it. Yes. And that would make a great drinking game, actually. Take a drink every time you see it. Take a shot of JMV every time you see it. That would be good. Wow. Can you still get it now? Yeah. Yeah. I think they sell it at Tesco's. Oh, okay. But it's one of those things like... I should thought ahead. I know, and we're in Scotland. (laughs) But yeah, you don't write... I don't think it's really something... Because I see a lot of people and they're like, oh, I've got my J&B, but I mean, I don't think it's exactly the best quality whiskey. I mean, me being Scottish, I've never seen anyone drink J&B. Yeah. Like they would drink like another brand. I don't think I'd ever seen it until I started watching Jolly, actually. Yeah, I think I might have seen it like brief... Like maybe somewhere, but not like... Never see it like in someone's alcohol cupboard or whatever. Yeah. So at the lounge by the pool and they're sort of judging each other from each side of the pool, the the two couples. Mm-hmm. There's a great line where um, Peter says to Stella, "What do you think of those two? And she looks over and says, "Well, he's a mannequin and she's a cow." <laughs> it's not the last time she calls it a cow in this. No, there's a lot of um, kind of female insults in this one. Bitch, <laughs> cow, whore. I love it. <laughs> um, and then we cut to a scene where Lydia Grant is um, working in the office. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it just thinking, she isn't convincing me as a secretary or indeed anyone who's ever used a typewriter or a no. phone. Her type- <laughs> yeah, her typewriter skills are, yeah, they have a lot to be, desi- lot to be desired. But... Plus she just makes up for it all when she walks. That strut that she does is unbelievable. It's crazy, but she's she's so pretty as well. Like She's, she's quite, stunning. she's like one of those people that's really striking. Yeah, she's got a lot of screen presence. Mm-hmm. And she turns out to be the sort of final girl character as well, doesn't she? Yeah, she did, which you kind of don't necessarily think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is her first film. Oh, she was playing Mate of the Month, December 1980. Uh... Andrea Belfiore. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. That, this is a, this is the main artistic output of Miss Belfiore. Yes. So obviously she's an Italian playboy and somebody went, get her. Her to get na- strip off, get naked, and appear in. This. And I mean, you can really tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I say, she's stunning and she's got a lovely body and stuff, but in a great walk. She's got a great walk and she does steal every scene she's in. Yeah. So, but you know. if you're looking for, you know, like acting capabilities, maybe. Stick with Miss Giordano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think you'd be watching this in fairness if you're looking for acting. Well. No, that's true. She does, so she goes like snooping around, wondering what's going on in the secret room where the experiment's going on, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we get the first shot of Patrick's disembodied green eyes. Green eyes, yeah. Fuck's that all about? Flash, <laughs> flash up. They kind of like come towards you. It's kind of the signature official motif of the yeah film. there are moments because the whole film is just like it, it is just like tawdry soft porn yeah and then someone goes oh shit hang on it's meant to be a horror movie so they throw something in <laughs> I know like we'll just have the eyes it's supposed to be kind of unnerving or something yeah but that those scenes that are, take place you know where Patrick is they're really like I would say wonderfully shot because obviously it's quite a cheap cheap room but it's actually quite cool like the the lighting the light's like, cool the light's it's really yeah. vibrant yeah. green almost like yeah. it reminds me of natural born killers a bit that kind of sickly oh, okay green yeah color and then you've got the purple which you know people talk a lot about italian cinema and like the lighting schemes and yeah. stuff but i've never really seen the green and purple used like that before yeah that's one thing i'll say that i liked about the film is yeah the, yeah the use of lighting um <laughs> there's a moment where she gets caught snooping and when dr herschel's telling her off he says um he says something like, I admire you trying to be diligent, but don't go too overboard. <laughs> and he's both patronising and sleazy at the same time. Yeah. So then <laughs> there's a scene where the coughs are arguing in the bathroom and she's got a bra on that doesn't quite cover her nipples. It's just like, yeah, like hangs really like below. Yeah. And you just kind of think the whole time maybe you need to go to Marks and Spencer's and yeah. get a new bra for them. I just love, I, can't, I just love that she's called Cheryl Cough. <laughs> Uh, and all she basically does is parades around in her underwear and high heels. Well, it's quite good you actually see her in a bra in that scene because I don't think there's a lot of bras after that. Actually, so, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's, ha- there's some interesting outfits in this one. Some quite like gravity defying. It's hardly outfits. a bra, though. I no. mean, it's like, 
It just sort of props the boobs up, doesn't well, it? I can tell if it was supposed to be a like it was supposed to be a bra like and cover it, or it was supposed to just be under. It, it was supposed to be like that anyway. Yeah. She it's... wears the hell out of it. She looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like I was gonna say, it's a nice bra. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got one? Rage? I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so from this scene, we glean a bit of a subplot, don't we? That they're being yeah. blackmailed. There's sort of someone sending them poison pen letters and yeah. threatening them. I just love the fact that I, I know a lot of I know a lot of this dialogue is probably lost in translation, but the fact that she refers to her husband as old friend. Yeah, it's really odd. Like, wait. But, you know, I kind of when I was like thinking that because the dialogue is so absurd in places in this film that you kind of just think a lot of it must just be a translation mm. issue, which I'm sure some of it is. But I went on um, an Italian site and read some reviews. And a lot of them were saying that the dialogue was absurd and kind of quoting the same examples. Ah, okay. So it seems like it is just like a poor script with strange little kind of... So we're giving the script a bit too much credit. I think, yeah, if you were to go, oh, no, it's just like lost in translation. It's like, no, actually, I think a lot of it is just yeah. bad writing. Um, so she says so. Um, she says something along the lines of, um, when they're talking about being blackmailed, doesn't she mention something that the cover up from the past? Yeah. Some guilty secret or something. Yeah, you start to realise there's something going on. There's some connect. Yeah. Well, you kind of know there's a connection anyway, but... There's got to be a connection, because why are they there? Yeah. But if there was any way that it was realistic that these people would have been in the car that caused the accident, yeah. I might have saw this as a as a like a flag, like a, you know, um, like the flag of what's going to happen. But I never in a million years would put these people in that first scene, <laughs> no. in that car. So <laughs> I don't see anyone. Yeah, it's like a strange group of people. You think, yeah. like, why is it them... Like, why are they involved with all of this? I think you yeah. get some, is it, da- yeah, David kind of gives an explanation of a wee bit of how he fled the scene and whatever. Yeah, that's true, yeah, that's true. Oh, I've just thought of a connection. Go on. When he admits that he fled the scene, mm-hmm. he says three people died. Ah, yeah, And three okay. people in the beds that are being used for Patrick's brain. So is this a different crash? No idea. Because why would the doctor <laughs> care about them? Like, surely they don't really care about Patrick. Yeah. But you don't see the other people. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I also meant to say another link to Jello of Venezia. This film, I had the same experience when this film as I had when Jello of Venezia started, uh-huh. where it starts so abruptly, I genuinely assumed that I put the film on in the middle. Yeah, I did exactly the same the first time I watched it. I was like, oh, like, because, you know, sometimes these, like, prints, you, like, they're not right or something's been cut off the start, but no, it just starts Yeah. straight in the action. Must be this director's trademark. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't fuck about, does he? He doesn't, and I can't, the one thing I do kind of like about his stuff is he doesn't spoon feed you everything. It's just kind of yeah. like, what the hell's going on? And yeah. kinda, like you have to kind of watch quite a bit before anything's exactly. revealed. Exactly. There's a moment here where Lyndon and Cheryl Cough get a bit physical with each other in an aggressive way. Yes. And I can't believe it took a whole fourteen minutes before we had our first slut slap. I know it was like kind of like <laughs> waiting for it, but then there's we see like more later on. So it makes up for lost yeah. time. <laughs> makes up for lost time. It's like oh, here we are, we've arrived. Yeah, yeah. And there's that very troubling scene where this character Meg is very close to the dogs. Yeah, I didn't like the kind of insinuation. I say insinuation, not really an insinuation. Just pretty much a yeah. This is what's going on here? There's a great so there's a great scene. Um, there's a great scene where they're at dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, well there's two great dinner scenes actually the first scene is alright but the second scene is great where she kicks off yes uh, but this first scene this put me in mind of Malabimba um, because of the hall where they're, where they're having the, the dinner in I know yeah. it's, it's not the same place because Malabimba is like a drafty old castle whereas this is more of a palazzo isn't it yeah I think Burial Ground is filmed in the same place but not Bal- Malabimba oh uh, okay yeah. so there's another connection between yeah. her films and, yeah maybe yeah. it was her house <laughs> <laughs> She can afford that. I think if she could afford that house... She would be in a Mario Landy film. Uh, Yeah, if she could afford that house, she wouldn't have to be making these kinds of films. Do you ever think these films are less... We know that they're trash. Do you ever think that they seem less trashy because they're in quite opulent surroundings? Yeah, I think it definitely kind of elevates them. Like, I've been having quite a lot of conversations with people about, like, slasher films. I'm not such a big slasher film fan because I know there's a lot of, like, kind of... People say, oh, the connection between the Jalo and the slasher. But for me, kind of what I like about the Jalo, even like the trashier ones, not that this is a Jalo, but or just Italian horror, is that yeah. they do have that kind of more lavish production design. Yeah. It's just more like Italian. So if this was like, you know, in an American film, you just know it wouldn't be mm. as impressive looking. Like it would just be some kind of mansion or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's especially nice to see, even if, you know, like it makes up for, maybe not makes up for, but if it's quite poor cinematography in a film, at least you've got something yeah. visually appealing in the 
production design. Yeah. Uh, at dinner here, uh, Dr. Herschel is like offering everybody around the table a treatment, isn't he? And everyone's like, oh, no, it's fine. I don't need treatment. So I just yeah, came just here to relax. Sit by the pool. And um, Stella says uh, a great line. She says, uh, well, last time I stood for a doctor. Well, let's not talk about that. The mind boggles. We need to know. <laughs> yes. We need to know what yes. happens. Yeah. There's another scene with Cheryl getting undressed in the bathroom. Uh, and it's supposed to be quite seductive, but I think I sent you a screenshot where I was like, you can see the toilet and the bog roll in the background. It's kind of not... Kind of takes away the whole, yeah. I was say, romantic side, the yeah. sexual side. Yeah. So she wants to have sex, but Lyndon just wants to go and down his J&B. Yeah. Can't really blame him. Yeah. Uh, did you notice? I was thinking if I paid to be to spend the weekend in a relaxation retreat like this I'd be furious with the dogs barking outside all the time <laughs> I never thought about that yeah no. the dogs just kept really barking. annoying <laughs> do you never really know why the dogs are there though do we because there's a fair number of them does it with the moment where he's feeding them at the beginning does that look suspiciously like human flesh yeah I always thought it was kind of that almost like you know they're there to dispose of Bodies, bodies maybe. yeah. But we don't really know anything that happened there prior because it's supposed to be this revenge thing against these people. Yeah, so why But there's would insinuation, be... yeah, there's something else yeah. untoward going on. Or maybe that's just how we read things. Twisted minds. <laughs> yes. Twisted minds. Twisted minds looking for logic and plot. <laughs> you know, in a film like this. <laughs> what a pair of idiots we are. Um, so, the next, so after that, Lyndon goes for an early morning swim in the in his budgie smugglers. Yes, that's quite a sight. Yeah. And um, suddenly um, the pool just starts to boil. It turns into like a boiling hot jacuzzi. I know what you're going to say. Isn't that shit? So when she like over, like she looks at the body, <laughs> isn't surprised, right? No shock, no horror. And then it's like, wouldn't, do, wouldn't get that in a shower or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A shower wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Why would, yeah, why why would, would you think shower? of a shower? <laughs> Like, so weird. <laughs> it's like, did they, I don't, did they mention a shower and I just missed that bit of dialogue? Or? No, not at all. So it, it, it cuts straight. I, lo- I love the abrupt cuts. It happens twice in this film. It cuts straight from a horrific death to Stella flancing around with nothing on. She's got like a red sarong on and no, no bra. <laughs> just, yeah, why not? Just kind of contrast that yeah. horror with a bit of sex. But... <laughs> so she's flancing around naked, apart from a sarong, only to find Lyndon cooked on the patio. And then she does some excellent screaming. And then we have the wonderful line, it is clear that Mr. Coft's death was due to a fatality. If you could sum up the film in like one line, it would just be that. Yeah, yeah. And why does he start asking Lydia Grant to organise his funeral? <laughs> I'm just kind of just like, oh, it's, it's funeral preparation time. It's like, oh, okay. No one always seems that bothered. Like, it's kind of that initial, like, oh, shit, someone's dead. And it's yeah. like, oh. And I love Cheryl. Um, Cheryl's supposed to be grieving for him and they've sat in, like, an Emmanuel wicker chair with the legs spread <laughs> yeah. and, like, a tiny little dress. So, you, so <laughs> she's still somehow erotic while she's grieving. I know, it's just, like, not some sort of widow in, all in black. Yeah. Can we discuss um, Peter's porno tash? It's quite something. I didn't know whether I was a little bit turned on by or not. Oh, my lie. God. No. I'm very easy, though. It's just moustache and nerves me. It was very bristly, very broom handly. Mm. Oh, so you're into it. I'm sort of into it. It was the combination with the chest wig. Oh, is it like, is it a, does he wear a cravat at some point? Yeah. A cravat I, and a moustache. Yeah, I'm not sure about the cravat, but I like the open shirt. Okay. And there's a, there's a scene where he's in like double denim. Which double I, denim, that's what it does. He's <laughs> double a double denim, denim jeans. <laughs> <laughs> but I could never quite get my, my head around his hair. What's it doing? <laughs> I don't know whether it's like swept over to one side or it's a bit of an afro or what. It's a bit weird. It was, yeah, an interesting style. I don't really know yeah. if that was his natural look or that was the <laughs> hair department. Because Lydia Grant's typing is so bad, we then have a scene where Patrick's spirit takes over the typing for her. Yes, which I do believe, right? I haven't seen the original, like Patrick, the mm. 1978 Patrick came it's, out. It's the Aussie one, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure that scene's taken from that. Right. Which is like, and this kind of makes, what's it called? Pat, Patrick. Still lives. Patrick still lives. Patrick. <laughs> so Patrick still lives is you kind of think it's um like a sequel, a loose sequel, but it's more of a just a kind of reimagining. Well, it stands. On, yeah, I mean, it stands on its own. I've never seen the Australian Patrick, mm-hmm. but I've heard that it's. I've heard that it's good. It's a, like a classic of exploitation cinema. Yeah, because you get some people that are like, oh yeah, it's like a cult classic, and then some yeah. people that are like, oh, it's a bit boring and meandering. Yeah. And, but I don't think I, I'm not sure exactly but I don't think Patrick was a huge film I'm, I'm wondering why Mario Landy decided to make this kind of reimagining sequel like and trade like, it was quite common for the Italians to trade off yeah. like, a popular film yeah. but I don't know why Patrick was chosen 
But then there's that Goblin connection because, well, not Goblin, obviously, weren't in, did the, didn't do the soundtrack for this, but they did the soundtrack for the original Patrick. Did they? I didn't so know. I'm wondering if it had some sort of significance yeah. in Italy just because of that. It's an odd one. If, anybody out there, if anybody out there knows why Mario Landy decided to do this, then please do <laughs> let us know. We'd love to know. You can tweet Rachel at Rachel underscore Nisbet. Or me at Johnny Larkin. Oh, and um, Rachel's got an extra A in it. Because no one can spell my name right, even though it's right there. The A is after the H, by the way. It's yeah. not like Rachel or, Rachel. Well, I <laughs> or, or Rachel. <laughs> um, so when Patrick takes over Lydia's typing, there's an amazing shot. There's like amazing shots of her facial expressions <laughs> as she's reacting in horror. It makes me think a little bit of, have you seen the birds? Yes. There's a scene in that where... Um, where Tippy Hedron is at the window and the guy is lighting a cigar mm-hmm. in the middle of the uh, gas station when there's petrol all around his feet. Yeah. And when it explodes, when the when the um, when the the fire is is um, making its way along the line of petrol, it cuts to frozen shots of it, it, it's not frozen. It's it's like real time, mm-hmm. but it's almost like tableau frozen shots of her face where she's yeah. pulling different looks of horror each time it cuts to her. And that's what this reminded me I'm of. I'm impressed that you've made a connection to an Alfred Hitchcock film and a Mario Landy film, but I, I, I didn't make the connection myself, but <laughs> I, I can see what you mean. It's quite horrifying. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she goes and sits with him, doesn't she? And mm-hmm. he starts, so her uh, scared starts to starts to cr- creep up through yeah. his psychic powers, I yeah. imagine. But she decides she's not having any of it. She's not up for some sort of Johnny D... Yeah. Fun. So, um, the second dinner scene in the dining room reminds me of Malabimba even more. Mm-hmm. Some of the best scenes, there's two great dinner scenes in Malabimba where somebody sort of gets naked and starts slagging everyone off around the table and telling them what they really think of them. Which is, you know, again, it's just kind of like, come down with me, but yeah. in Italy in 1980. Exactly. If only come down with me, had like open robes and cat fights. I know, right? Like the kind of like after 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock exactly. version, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, so this this happens when Drunken Stella comes in. And did you notice the way she's holding the bottle of J&B on her shoulder? Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like it's the direct, like, Mary has gone like, right, put the J&B on your shoulder, we need it in shot, we need like a... To be prominently placed. She's like, it's like up there like a pet parrot. <laughs> Why and it was supposed to be like, I'm drunk, so this is your official Yeah. Like clue. I don't know. It was weird. She comes barging in and opens a robe and she and Peter's trying to sort of Usher her back to the bedroom, but she's... like, you know, she's not having it. Yeah. And it is wonder why she was drunk. And then looking back, it's probably is it a reaction to finding a dead body. That would make sense, but just not really kind of not really gone into it in the film yeah. and everyone's drinking all the time anyway so it's just a bit like oh okay yeah um so she then starts to um kind of tell everyone their fortune so she she's it, she reveals here that everybody at the resort has been blackmailed not just the coughs yeah uh, and she reveals that peter used to be a drug dealer she used to be a hooker and um cheryl to quote stella she says to her you let yourself be slammed like a cow by a bull to help your husband's career. Beautifully insult. put. It's a great insult. We, we've criticised the script earlier, but yeah. in this show, but yeah, you can't really think about that line. Salve popolo, come va la vita? Anzi, no, 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 no. Devo cambiare assolutamente la domanda. Come va la morte? Mm? Ehi, hey, ubriaca, piantala. E tutto quello che sai notare. <laughs> a cat fight ensues with both women rolling around on the floor. And there's also the great line, get away from me before I catch syphilis. Totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter is mortified, drags Stella back to the bathroom. The bathroom is amazing with all those murals on the wall. Yeah, because it's all, you know, like painted. Yeah. It's quite like high, high ceiling. And... Yeah, it's great. And she's like drunk and trying to get him to sleep with her. And he says the immortal line, I usually bang women, not whiskey, whiskey bottles. bottles. Brilliant. Would you say that's your that's favorite? My, line? Yeah, it's my favorite line in the whole film. I'd say. Yeah. We've all been there. <laughs> and she tells him that the drugs turned him into a faggot. Yeah. What are you? What's your opinion on that? Just, do drugs have that kind of power? I don't know. <laughs> people want gay. Well, yes, certain people. Depends. <laughs> There's been many a time. Six bottles of Peroni sometimes will do the trick. <laughs> and he has the part and shot. Die alone, whore. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, that's kind of that whole section of the film. It's just, you know, like, line after line. Yeah. Comic genius. It's gold. 
It is gold. It's yeah. gold. It's That's gold. when you're like, this is really picking up. Because I think at the start, it slowly kind of mm. starts and you're a bit like, oh, where's this going to go? But then it's just kind of like bang, bang, bang. Yeah. And at this point, it still doesn't feel quite like horror, does it? It's more like it's still it's still in the sort of sleazy, erotic Yeah, it's a good point, yeah, because it drama. doesn't feel like... It, everyone, it's like When you look at the kind of posters and stuff for it and you see like what people say about it, you're like, oh, it's like a horror. But then when you're watching it, you just feel like it's kind of like softcore. Yeah. Not like really somebody getting boiled in a pool, like yeah, but still, it's still not the heights of horror yet. But yeah. I think I do think it delivers towards the end. Yeah, it start, it kind of slowly builds, but then it kind of escalates. Yeah. So then she goes off. She can't get any sex from Peter, so Stella goes off to try and seduce Davis. And there's a moment that I loved where she, <laughs> I think it's not scripted. I think it's the actress, and she's sitting seductively on his bed with a cigarette, yeah. and she suddenly doesn't know where to flick her ash. <laughs> So she, and you can see it in her face. She goes, uh, I'm flexing on the floor. <laughs> I was like, I they just use that shot. They're like, that, that's fine. That'll do. Just, that'll do. Just whatever. Yeah. Um, and we think it's going to turn into like a, a sexy scene, but uh-huh. then it turns into like a slap-a-thon. Yeah, you just get more slapping and quite hard slaps as yeah. well. So. Bastardo. Sei, sei un vigliaco. Prendi. He kind of beats the shit out of her there. Yeah. I mean, she gives a good fight. Yeah, she fights back. It's not like, you know. And then we see Meg again, even though we haven't seen her for like 45 minutes and she just sort of pops up. Meg's kind of got a similar hairstyle as well, so it gets a bit confusing. Yeah. Like everyone seems to have the same hair in this film. She kind of just pops up and somebody needs to say to them, you're in danger, you must run. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm just, you know, yeah. still kicking about, yeah. still here. After the fight with Stella, Davis goes off and he's lured into a courtyard. I love that courtyard. Yeah, and that's been used, like, I think, like, the villa, like, obviously there's the interior shots, but the exterior shots, like, a lot of films have been filmed there as well. And I think... Mm. Not 100% sure. I think Shadow of Venezia has some external shots in that scene there. Ah. By that door, I think. Day or night? In Jello of Venezia. Ah, uh, day, I think. Yeah, because looking back on Jello of Venezia, there's not that many night shots, is there? There's lots of it goes on in broad daylight. Lots yeah, and because it's like, you know, set in Venice, you wouldn't really think, but I'm sure there's like one bit where it's like the door. Yeah. Yeah. That's well spotted, if that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, wow. And that's just like proves that I've kind of got something wrong with me when it comes to these locations. Um, yes, well, <laughs> may you continue to suffer f- from it for the rest of your I life. Have to, yeah, I have to have something else to look at because it's like, <laughs> I'm not really getting anything out of all the like tits and arts and no. whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's a nice... That's true. It's that's a nice true. door. So this is the first... So uh, I think this is the first scene where it does cross over and become more horror. Definitely, yeah. It builds up a nice atmosphere, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's like quite like that kind of half night lighting, like yeah. nighttime. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite suspenseful the mm. next but and quite gruesome. Very gruesome. Why does he spend so long? So he, he finds a well, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He looks down the well, and then the, and then Patrick's disembodied green eyes float up at him. You know, troubles are brewing. Troubles coming. <laughs> There's the eyes, and um, he and then he sort of gets up onto the well, doesn't he? And sort of stares at the hook for about twenty five minutes. Yeah, it's like quite like a long time, and there's no real. I su- like obviously Patrick's kind of in control, but I suppose he maybe he's hypnotized or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the implication. And then the hook jams into his throat. Yes, in a very bloody, gory way. It's really go- it good. It is quite go- a good effect. I thought yeah. like the effects were pretty decent in this yeah. film actually. So this is the second time we come from a horrible death to Stella just swanning just around. Like whatever. But this time she's in a white dressing gown, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just thought her early morning walks never end well. She <laughs> no. needs she needs to have a lion. <laughs> <laughs> just stay in the wellness centre get someone to like bring you breakfast just yeah. stay away from outdoor areas yeah um, she finds 
Davis, obviously, and she's horrified. She runs off, and there's an amazing bit where she runs past the fountain, and I thought, she's got to have water splashed all over her so she can we can see through the white gown. Yeah. But how possibly could that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so the character, inexplicably, runs over to the fountain and starts chucking water all over us. <laughs> You're like, and you're kind of like, is this uh, Patrick using his supernatural powers? But no, it's just just any... It's just Mario Landy trying to find a way to get her soaking wet. Mm, so we can see mm. boobs. It's quite, like, you're like, surely there's something else they could have come up with. Anything. She could no. have fell into the fountain. I know. Or someone could have like chucked water. Yeah. Like, because they were cleaning the blood off. I don't know. The <laughs> well. <laughs> she could have fallen down the well and someone yeah. could have like grabbed her. Or Patrick could have appeared, Patrick's eyes could have floated out of the fountain and squirt of water out. <laughs> that would be good. Sadly, no. The, the horror continues to be ratcheted up. She gets back into the house. Why does she go to the fridge? I don't... I don't was there a reason she went to the fridge? Because she's screaming in horror. She just found a dead body. So she goes to get lunch. So she goes to get, she goes to get a snack. It's breakfast time, I don't know. Lunch time. There was nothing in that fridge as well. Like, bar what we're going to talk about. Just So what is that in the fridge? Right. Like, in my mind, it looks like a monkey, but I'm like, am I just being stupid? I've put... I've just put, was that a disemboweled monkey in the fridge, WTF? (laughs) Because it's like, is it a monkey? And then I was like, no, sure, it has to be a dog. And I was like, but that doesn't look like a dog, and it's like a German shepherd, so... Yeah. There's a monkey. Why is there a monkey there? No idea. But it's really great. It's really graphic. I, is that a real monkey, do you think? Or that's the worry with these films, isn't it? You just yeah. don't know. Because it's kind of all like hanging there with its got so... It's just horrible. So you're kind of like, oh. It looks like a specimen. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. Because it's like, oh, it's kind of the horror element, but yeah. also like, oh, disembowled monkey and the ethics of yeah. Italian horror cinema. <laughs> yeah, and then from there it goes even further down, down, down. Into horror. Yes. Would you like to take the would you like to tell us what happens next? <laughs> I don't I don't know like what to say about what happens next. Like I'm trying to think of the order it even happens in. So we've got Well what is it that the what is the long spiky thing? Is it a is it it's a, it's poker? a fire poker. A fire poker. Yeah, so she's in the kitchen, she's seen a disembowled monkey. <laughs> as you do. And then I don't know, she kind of what exactly happens? So she's there's like the kitchen table. She yeah. gets up on the kitchen table to get away from the monkey. To get away, it's like it's like why why did she run out of the room? Is there some Patrick some sort of thing? Just, well, the, I think the poker just rises up, doesn't it? And yeah, because it's and not floats. like it just floats. Because she gets up on the kitchen table, but she gets it like spread legs. Like it's not like like a normal person you think would get up and just like with their knees together, but she's yeah. kind of got her legs spread and I think it, on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's literally just the stupidity of the film. Yeah, it's and like, it's, this is the whole podcast. It's just us like going like, oh, but is there? <laughs> have we missed something? Are we just being stupid? It's like no, it's just yeah the logic of the film. Yeah, she spreads her legs. Spreads her legs. Fire poker rises up. Oh, and yeah, and goes. Where firefuckers should not go. They should never ever be there. So I, I always talk about like the worst scenes in these kind of films. Like yeah. for me personally, and mine's are always about anything to do with like the vagina because I don't know. Just obviously that's like some sort of. <clears throat> Somebody lectured me on Twitter about why I get upset about vaginas being mutilated in films. What's some did they guy. Say? Like, oh, the reason is because you have fear of like pregnancy and menstruation stuff. So I was like, thanks. Thank you for like telling me. I was like, I kind of know like why I have a fear of this because obviously it's my own anatomy. But it's like I, I just was saying that I don't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, like obviously that's kind of my thing. Like, I don't know if you find the same with other sorts of genital mutilation in films. Or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If anything happens where someone's like stabbed or kicked or shot in the in the balls or whatever yeah. I, I genuinely get a sympathy twinge down yeah exactly you get like, the twinge so I think that's why I'm always like oh my god stuff like this but um, in Jello Venezia there's a pair of scissors, scissors that are used and this we've got the fire poker so you know you know like we have a lot of discussions don't we about Jello yeah. and Italian horror um, where we talk about the accusations of misogyny in these films yeah. and how a lot of the time it's uh, it's kind of unfounded in a way yeah but for me, watching this, 
but I'm a man, so I'm just yeah. watching it from an outsider's point of view. But from me watching this, I think things like this lend weight to that argument that yeah. there's mis- a lot of misogyny in these films. I think definitely when you look think? at a film like that, it's kind of hard to argue otherwise because it feels like you know, like the like the man, it's like a meat hook through. Well, not a meat hook, but like a hook through the mm. the neck and the whale well, and like being burned in a swim pill. But it's yeah. such a kind of sexually violent scene, like so graphic, and like same with Shella Venezia, like so yeah. sexually graphic about the way that kind of thing happens. Yeah. That you just it doesn't make you feel a wee bit uncomfortable. Yeah, like I'm not like reactionary and like oh no we should ban the film or it's mm. really misogynistic, but I don't like feel like it's. I yeah. think it's that kind of stuff is what gives weight to the issues around Italian horror and the treatment so of women. Of, it's kind of like they give the rest of them a bad name. Yeah, I guess like, you know, when you use examples like that, I think the reg- or regular person would be quite horrified. It's really graphic as well. Yeah. Like it's quite, like you go back, like it goes back to that shot like repeatedly. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's you see the hair, it, yeah, it? and you see kind of like the whole anatomy. Yeah. Which is quite shocking because even like in horror films now, I don't think you see female anatomy kind of like in mm. that same way. Like in horror being violated like, like in, in yeah well. and the other one I was talking about on Twitter recently was the Monster of Florence film oh yeah and the killer uh, yeah I'd love killer to see that I've never seen yeah. it yeah. I'll have to send you a link to it um, but yeah you see like, they're obviously based on real life cases so it's slightly different mm. I wouldn't say it's misogynistic but um, yeah like somebody gets their vagina like cut out which is what happened in real life but it's yeah. it's grim to watch like again it's that kind of close shot yeah. of like a hairy kind of vagina you think oh my god like it's weird to watch because it does kind of make you start to think about being a woman because yeah I mean I, I always think like you know when when sort of people sort of say you know Tenebrae is misogynistic but I always think the sort of meta element of that film balances all that out and it's about it's about the accusations of misogyny that, yeah. that's what that film is about yeah 100% like it's it's backed up by all these kind of actual bits in the film where characters are deliberately saying you know you're a, you're you know, a misogynist like, yeah. yeah like you write yeah. these books about such and such just makes you this and then all the kind of Catholicism and yeah. that yeah. comes in but and same with like other films like by Argento predominantly yeah you think there's an awareness to it, but in something like this, it's like no, it's just. Yeah, I, I, I always feel like it, it, what tips the balance for me is when when a woman is attacked in a horror film, but the very thing things that are most personal to her as a woman, her genitalia, yeah, that says this: you are unmistakably a woman because you have a vagina and you have breasts. The things that would identify someone as a woman, the mm-hmm. vagina or the breasts or whatever, are attacked. They're the things, so like in their burial ground, a tit is bit off. Yeah. In this, someone's skewered. Uh, in um, New York Ripper, the stabbing with the broken bottle in the vagina, all that kind of thing. I always think, mm, for me, that lends itself a bit more to the, the argument about it being misogynistic. Yeah, because like, say, like, it's kind of like the violence is directed at what makes that person a woman. And part of me thinks it's like, they feature those kind of scenes because it's really shocking and they're trying to be as violent as possible. So it's just a case of, you know, like, let's do the kind of taboo thing by violently kind of, like, attacking, like, sexual reprodu- like, reproduction orders of organs of a woman. But then part of me is about, like, does that come in because there's a misogynistic element? Because you don't tend to see the same with male characters. I tend to see more, like, male genitalia, like, violation in, like, Plitsiotechi films. Mm. I can't remember which one it is now. I think it's Gang War in Milan, where I think something's quite horrible is done to a man's genitalia. Oh, really? Yeah, I've seen it yeah. more in like the crime films, but then crime films have a lot of like kind of female rape and stuff. But in horror films, you don't tend to see that much. Mm. Like, kind of, there's not like many attacks on like male genitalia. No, because yeah, but and also with a lot of the crime films, I've only seen a few Polizia films, and which by the way I love, and that's going to be my next like thing I'm going to yeah, delve into. You totally should. Um, but those films are squarely aimed at men, and I feel like the directors of those films are looking at the things that will upset the men the most. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why there, there might be an attack on genitalia or you know whatever. I think yeah, there's that kind of different element but, to um. Like, I'm coming for your manhood. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of, like um. Our mutual friend Peter Sigmund Ward yeah. on here, he's writing that book about Anita Strindberg. Mm. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of documenting her career and talking about the evolution of her career. And he's talking about her roles in Jali and how she's kind of has more varied roles and there's more kind of characterization in them. But then he says, you know, like when she does her roles, when she's in like Polizioteki or like the crime films, how yeah. those roles are just, there's not as much for women because they're kind of basically like rape victims or. Yeah you know, women, like, just, you know, wives or girlfriends or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I think, or secretaries. You know, yeah, when you look at those films, they are very much, yeah, like you say, more 
kind of male dominated. Mm, yeah. So she's skewered from the vagina right <laughs> yes. up right up through her body and yeah. it comes out of her mouth. Yes, just like um Mother of Tears. Yeah. Yeah. Who thought that? Also maybe think of Cannibal Holocaust as well. The yeah, the straight up. That's yeah. a hor- it's such a horrible um yeah. image, isn't it? They referenced that in a season of American Horror Story, you know. Did they? Because I was thinking about there's a Mario Bava reference, like Friday the thirteenth reference in Hotel, but yeah. I have not watched that season, so I don't Roanoke know. is the one I, I like the most out of all of them because it, it's um it just that? becomes like a serial version of video nasty. Every episode is like something awful happens where you're like, oh. See, that makes me want to watch it like again because I, yeah. I I didn't watch. I just watched the first two episodes. I think. Yeah. So I need to. It's not a great start, but yeah, the stuff. Some of the stuff they do references. Kind of a holocaust. That's and, weird. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd never heard that before. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. So anyway, so she gets skewered. Um, my jaw was on the floor watching that scene. I was like horrified. Like, I know because you kind horrified. of think it's going to cut away, and you're like, no, yeah. that's the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's like that thing you're kind of impressed, right? Disemboweled monkey, mm-hmm. like women being skewered by a fire poker, right? Through yeah. vagina to mouth. It's like, yeah, they've, they, I mean, they're well done. They're going all out, aren't they? To be yeah. shocking and, and horrifying, which is what you kind of want from a horror movie. Yeah, it's like kind of more interesting to me than just watching someone walk about naked. Yeah. You kind of want something that does have that visceral reaction in you. What kind of reaction did you then have to Lydia having sex with a bed? Um, I think I was just like, well, that must be quite cold. Cold, yeah. You know, yeah. That's my reaction. It's supposed to be erotic, but yeah. honestly, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so after the skewering, <laughs> we have a scene that's meant to be erotic. Um, and it's Lydia who is uh, hypnotized by Patrick again. And she starts to um, seduce him by having sex with the bed that he lies comatose in. Which everyone knows that's kind of what men are into. Yeah, that's, you know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, she's like rubbing a muff on the cor- on the corners. <laughs> she's licking. She does one bit yeah, where she's, she's licking the bed frame. Proper going for it. Yeah, that's like Malabimba level for me. That's it. That's when you were like, yes, this is <laughs> reaching those dizzy heights. Like, come on, keep going. <laughs> How like more extreme can we make this? Yeah. Um, and Peter and Cheryl are like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." And Cheryl convinces Peter to take her with him with the promise, "I promise I'll only bring one dress." <laughs> you pesky woman with you, your dresses. <laughs> that's what you need to convince, like, to convince her, to convince him even. But they don't really get anywhere because she's then decapitated by an automatic car window. Which I thought was really like well done. Great, I really liked yeah. that. I kind of made me think of like Scream a wee bit. Oh yeah, with the cat flap. Yeah, just that kind of on the throat. And and Inferno as well. I just... I thought it was quite inventive. I think it's good because, like, I personally... As much as, you know, I was crossing my legs during the fire poker scene, I can't really relate to being scared of the fire poker. No. sure some women might be able to. I don't know. But but, um, that one's kind of one you kind of feel like, oh, do you feel like that could actually happen to you? (laughs) Kind of. I mean, I don't know how many people are (laughs) hanging through a car window, like... But, you know, you can kind of... (laughs) You feel like you can maybe yeah. like slightly relate to... Th- it makes you kind of cringe The lesson here is if you've got automatic car windows, never put your head through. Okay. I don't own a car, so unless it's going to happen on a bus. Yeah, no, me neither. Yeah, yeah. we're fine. We're, we're yeah. safe from that. So she gets her head cut off and Peter then gets in the car, finds her head in the back seat. Yep. He's horrified, but when he tries to get out, he's locked in and he's asphyxiated. So Patrick is turning the exhaust on. And yeah. So they're both dead. So this is really interesting, isn't it? Because uh-huh. all of those people who've been set up as the protagonists are all dead and there's yeah. still 20 minutes left. So you're just like, where are we going to go from here? Like, yeah. who's responsible? Don't know. It's quite, it's quite clever, like, how they do that. Because yeah. like we said, it's so slower start, then bang, everyone's kind of dead and you're kind of thinking, like, well, what the hell's going to happen yeah. next? Yeah, yeah. And then you've got Meg suddenly returns again. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a bit of a final girl moment but doesn't quite make it. And then Dr. Herschel. So he's determined that Patrick kills everyone. Mm-hmm. Like if he kills everyone, what he will get better? I know it's kind of like it feels like it's like revenge and like I don't know it's like retributive justice or whatever, and then everything will return to normal yeah. because he's yeah because they're all I don't know. Well, we're, we're kind of left to piece it all together, and I don't think this is because the the director and writer were being really clever about this. I think they just didn't think it through. Yeah, they're more concerned about monkey disembowelments in the fridge than and skewering well, skewering yeah, women on the them. kitchen table. Um, so the. What we're meant to glean from it all is that the accident that put Patrick in his coma, which was somebody driving past and throwing something at him, that these people were in that car. Yeah. But quite why a politician, his <laughs> wife, an ex-hooker, an ex-drug dealer, and Davis, whatever he does, were in a car that threw something at someone's head. 
like joyriding teenagers. <laughs> Have you ever been in a car and been like, I'm going to throw it? Even if it wasn't like deliberate, why would you throw it like that? Yeah. And like, they don't really seem to know each other that. Like, so. Yeah. They're all strangers when they arrive. I feel really confused about. I feel like I've missed something. <laughs> I don't think you have. Or I feel like I've given us some sort of, like, print of the film that's missing, like, <laughs> 40 minutes of key, like, plot, like, or something. Key exposition. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Um, so, um, he knows that Patrick loves Lydia somehow, so he tries to kill Lydia. But she is saved by Patrick's rapey telekinetic love. Which is, you know... It's a miraculous thing. And then it ends. I can't really remember the ending. There's just all that kind of carry on in the Patrick room and the lights are going mad and... Those people like, wake up. They wake up and... And they rather are naked. But Patrick's still just like lying there. He still doesn't do anything. Like Johnny D, like he had a really sweet deal in this film because he just lies yeah. in a bed the whole time. And you, I, I don't know, I just thought he would wake up, but he doesn't really. It's just no. like... He Nothing ever. The bed. There's no payoff with him, is there? He just... Um, it's like they ran out of time. Yeah. Because the, like, last, the last shot is just his face and then the screen turns red and Lydia screams. And that's like the end, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I kind of thought he'd go on some sort of like, um, well, he does, I suppose he does a wee bit, goes on a, like a kind of um, telekinetic, like telekin, telekinetic or, no, it doesn't sound like telekinetic, telekinetic, telekinetic that's telekinetic, it. Yeah. He goes on some sort of like telekinetic like rampage, which just consists of like blowing up glassware. Yeah. Which he did before one of the dining room scenes. Yeah. There's nothing, there's not really any exciting yeah. payoff. I suppose I'm expecting like some sort of Suspiria kind of like the villa gets blown wide yeah. open. But... And Lydia runs out screaming yeah. and she, she's the last one to survive or something. But not really, it's just really materialised like that. So there isn't a payoff, essentially. No. But it doesn't matter that it made no sense because there was enough in it to keep me entertained, horrified and amused, entertained. It gave me everything I needed from sleazy Euro horror porn. Exactly. I think it's kind of like, for what it is, like, I think yeah. it hits the kind of mark. So would you recommend this film to people to watch? Depends who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like... I would recommend it to my fellow Screaming Queens. I think they do. Okay, that's it. good. That's a yeah. good sign. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like a good film, like, you know, if you're having a couple of beers and you've got friends around and they're kind of open to the crazy shit that you watch. Yeah. It kind of hits the mark with what, what you kind of want to watch in the background and be like, oh my God, yeah. like... Yeah, I think if you like Burial Grounds and you like Malabimba and you like Jalavinitia, then you'll like this. Yeah, but the only problem is this is making me kind of question, like, I feel like Jalavinitia is almost like a piece of art in comparison to this. Oh my God. To this? Yeah. Like, the way yeah. it's, like, done, I feel like, oh, it's a bit more... Yeah, yeah. I think I just keep coming back to that shot in Jalavinitia with the muscle and the chopstick. <laughs> and that's high art. That's, like, high art in my mind now compared to this. I feel like I'm having like a, a trigger moment from that scene. <laughs> I wouldn't have watched this film if it wasn't for you. It's all my fault. So I thank you for that. And my pleasure. Just sharing, <laughs> like spreading the word about wonderful bits of art like this. I think it's fun sometimes. Like, like I think I spend a lot of time trying to be like, oh, the shell and stuff. Like, it's und- I know everyone says underrated is like to death, but you're trying to like give a reappraisal of these films that maybe have quite like a bad reputation or they're yeah. seen as like trash or whatever when they're not. But sometimes it's fun to look at a film like this where you're like, no, it's just that. It's like proper exploitation. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes mm. it's like, we don't need to reevaluate everything and be like, yeah. oh, it's this is... The-. Like, we found a few good bits, but... Yeah. It's just a good, fun watch, isn't it? I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. Yes. I enjoyed it. It did give me everything I needed. Um, and I think sometimes it's good just to say this film is trash and that is fine and that makes it funny. That's a valid enough reason to watch it. Yeah. You know, that you don't have to sort of try and look at it through, you know, millennial lens or whatever, you know. Yeah, it's just. It's fine. It is what it is. I think it's quite upfront about that. There's no deep cut. There is no deep cut. No. <laughs> What would you say your favourite scene was in the whole film? My favourite scene in the whole film was probably Stella confronts everyone and reveals everybody's dirty past. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah. It did remind me of the Patricia Webley does it in Malabimba. Yes. And Um, I think also it kind of placates our love of 
bad 90s soap operas from America. Exactly. It just feels, you know, like Melrose Place, Heather Locklear or something. Totally. It's, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's, it gives me my cat fight fix. I love cat fights. I have, I have since I was, since I was a, a young lad, really. There's something satisfying about a cat fight. Yeah, definitely. What about your favourite scene? I did quite like the decapitation by Carwin, though. Yeah. I did find that quite satisfying. And the mon- monkey disembowelment, just for, like, shock factor. The sheer horror of it. Yeah, I was not expecting a monkey in the fridge. Yeah. No. So that's how I'd sum up the film. Just monkey in a fridge. Monkey in a fridge. That's how we're going to sum this film up. If, if, if it even was a monkey. Yeah. Someone's going to come in the way. Well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it? Yeah. Please tell us. Um, and also, if you've got any feedback on on our on this episode and what you think of the film, we'd love to hear from you. So you can get Rachel on Twitter at Rachel underscore Nisbet. Yes, Rachel's a bit like Blade Runner Rachel. That's why I say it, as I pretend that my name, I'm named after that. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm at Johnny, L- Johnny Larkin. Um, also, um, this is just the first, there are gonna be, uh, there's going to be another episode with Rachel as well, so keep your ears peeled. You can't peel your ears, can you? Keep your ears open? Keep your ear to the ground. Ah, that's it. Open to the creepy. Yeah, <laughs> keep your ears to the ground for, for the that next one. one yeah. Also, remember that if you're a fan of Screaming Queens, podcast we would love you to leave us a review on itunes um and also you can find us we've got a facebook page up now as well so go on facebook and search for screaming queens with a z um and yeah thank you for listening and um we hope you go away and find this film and never speak to us again as a result yes. <laughs> thanks so much rachel thank you